Well, I'm humbled and honored uh, to be able to be in front of you today or those that are joining us online. So I said this first service, and I'll say it again, that I usually, when I go and are able to preach at the churches that own Lake Beauty for the last four years, I, I enjoy to kind of just, I kind of come in, and then, I, and then I go out. And so one of they say in preaching classes, you shouldn't always give like personal narratives. And I say, fooey, I'm going to do it. So I start with this. There was a show when I was growing up in the 90s that dates me, but not dates me very much, but it makes sense. In the 90s, there was a hit show on NBC at night that I would sometimes catch with my mom when she would allow me. It was entitled Friends. Okay, the better reaction than I got for first service, I got groans. You might not like it. It's okay to each their own. I love the show. I've watched all 180 plus when I, uh, episodes countless times probably. Uh, when I was in college, I binge watched a few times. My wife and I have uh, done the same. So I just love the show. And I couldn't tell you why I love the show. I don't know if it's the character development or the plots. Uh, the, the fact that it's set in New York, that's great and all. But I think what I can put a pinpoint on of why I love the show so much is the opening credits, the song that they sing. Brought to us by the one-hit wonder band from the 90s known as the Rembrandts. And the song goes like this. So no one told you life was gonna be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke. Your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear. When you haven't been, uh, when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, but I'll be there for you. When I was seven years old, I discovered my best friend. Her name was Abby. She was the epitome of a tomboy back in that day. And I really enjoyed her company. She was the best of both worlds for my sister and I. She was a year older than me, which was my sister's age. I don't remember how I came across knowing or or being introduced to Abby. She was my neighbor. I think my mom got invited to some backyard barbecue at the cul-de-sac that they lived on. And we, we went and got to meet her and her family. I lived on a main road, main uh, Minnesota, or not Minnesota, Michigan Highway when I, where I grew up. And, and Abby lived down the street on a different road titled My Dream Avenue. I only wanted to put that in there because I think it's such an interesting name for a road. My Dream Avenue. So I would go over to Abby's house. I'd walk past my backyard and probably like a quarter mile or so up the road and go and visit and hang out with her. And she loved gymnastics like my sister, but she also loved to play and shoot hoops. And she had a Nintendo 64, which was cool in my book, even even if she was a girl. When we got to about middle school though, or she got middle school, I was in fifth grade. We we slightly uh, parted ways, one would say. She got her own friends and I got my own. But I still remember that that those times when I look back fondly of just being around and hanging out with my neighbors. And then I get a question when I, Trindy asked me, like, hey, what do you want to speak on? And the question that kind of got in my head was really, are these days really over when we're really no longer friends with our neighbors? I've lived on Lake Beauty's property now for the last four years, and sadly, 
I can, I can account it for myself. I don't know very many of my neighbors. I know some of their names. I might know faces, but I probably couldn't put the two together. And the same probably goes for them. And the same may go for you as well. That you have these neighbors, maybe you've lived alongside and you couldn't pick them out from Adam. Our society is really ingrained in keeping what we have to ourselves and that we should really only get to know those that we truly know, our friends, our family, maybe our coworkers. Heavens forbid, though, we stretch that out and get to know who our neighbors really are. As those of us, though, that say that we follow Christ, have the faith in him, you know, we just celebrated Advent and celebrated his birth and his life, his death and his resurrection. For those of us who are growing in that process, for those of us who do not know, we, we get that opportunity to do so. He invites us each and every day. But as those of us who are Christ followers, we're told to be countercultural. So if our culture is telling us that we should just keep to ourselves, we, Christ came, Jesus came, and he flipped you know, the world upside down and was uh, countercultural. We are called to be different from what society expects. When somebody, will dub them a stranger, waves at us, we should show hospitality and friendliness back to them and not just jump to judgments on who they might be. It reminds me of a story that I, I think of when I think of this idea of, of being hospitable and being a neighbor. My wife and I, we lived in Dallas, Texas for a, a couple of years and I remember we had, there was a dog park there, and we had a dog. It's kind of one of the reasons we chose that apartment. And we're there at this dog park, and I'm walking out to go walk my dog there, and I see somebody else who owned a dog who I'd seen frequently at the park. And I, and I just go, well, hey, neighbor. And I did one of those goofy things, and no, no lie, the guy's response was, oh, and did one of those things to me. And so it, like, hurts your feelings because you're like, you want to be neighborly, you want to be hospitable. And we see that as Christ followers, we're, we're, we are to be that. We are to be loving, and we should even strip this term stranger from our vocabulary. Jesus teaches us countless times that we should not be afraid to be neighborly with strangers because they are his children. The church I worked at before taking the position at Lake Beauty, there was a lady who worked with the younger kids for many years and she would go over in Sunday school, and she would go over the classic Sunday school songs. But she would do one with a twist, and she would actually make these paper people, and she would cut them out, and they would all be attached, and she would color them certain colors so that when they sang the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children, she could point them out, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves everybody. He showed it when he died on the cross. So again, as those of us who are here, we are to, be care, or we are to care for the people that Jesus himself cared for as well. Scripture, full of examples of this. There's the Israelites way back in the Old Testament times who were called in their Levitical law, that they are to take care of the widows and the orphans and, and, the, and the refugees that came into their camps. We see the classic narrative of Naomi and Ruth, 
Ruth who left her own land, indoctrinating herself into this Hebrew culture, becoming as if she was one herself. Jesus was the greatest example of caring for others, many of whom not even from his own culture. Need we look at his disciples, a motley crew of men. Some were of Jewish culture, some were zealots, some of the Greco-Roman cultures themselves. And there's one instance that we'll dig into, or dive into as I like to say, where Jesus was in dispute with someone about the ever-classic question, who is my neighbor? Luke, the physician and gospel writer, was the one who penned one of Jesus' most important commandments. And the passage goes as follows. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, says this. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he could take care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I am here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked? The man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I remember hearing about this story when when I was in Sunday school, speaking of which, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We only hear it in Luke's account. Matthew and Mark, the other synoptic writers, gospel writers, spoke of this interaction that Jesus had with this Jewish uh, lawyer, this, this man who studied the Hebrew scriptures intently and knew about it. We see these interactions that Jesus had throughout the gospel writings, where he had many followers that would come up to him and just pose different questions. We have here, of course, this Jewish man coming up and posing more of a philosophical one, asking Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus, doing what he does best, retorts him with a question. Got kind of all covenant on him and even asking, where is it written? They both knew that this would probably be the interaction. 
And we have here this Jewish man of, and knowing and understanding the law saying, well, I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. Jesus agrees with him. And of course, though, we, we get a little follow-up here. The man trying to stump, uh, you know, stump Jesus, funny enough, goes over and, and talks about it and even goes and poses the, the next question, the follow-up of, well, who is my neighbor? I'm to love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And this is where Luke picks up this parable, this, this story that we are going to dig into this morning. There are four major characters of the Good Samaritan story. We have two and two. We have the Jewish man that's going from point A to point B. He gets attacked, left for dead. And then we have this interesting character. Jesus knew what he was doing when he was telling this story and using these, uh, these next three characters. We have a Samaritan. You might have learned from other messages or just from other Bible book studies. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were mixed cultures. They were mixed marriages. They were mixed customs. They were like the equivalent of a mutt in the canine kingdom. They were frowned down upon. It was not something Jews and Samaritans did not mix. That's why, and we'll talk about it later, you know, Jesus with the woman at the well the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 is a shock to his disciples when he sees that the two of them are interacting. We have the Samaritan, who we'll get more about. But I want to really talk about these other two characters that we faintly hear about. One, of course, being a priest. Jesus, of course, a priest, being of Aaron's lineage. Again, studied the Torah understood what it meant to be a good Jewish man and knew that good Jews, of course, we talked about it, were to help out those in need. But what does this priest do? Passes by on the other side, sees the man and goes, ah. So we have that, we have the priest. And then we have a temple worker or a Levite, you know, still from the tribe of Levi like the priest, but not from the lineage of Aaron. But they were like, again, temple workers, helpers. They knew the Torah. And what does that man do? He passes by on the other side of the street. Jesus strategically talks about these two gentlemen because they were the two that should have and would have been the ones that we would have all assumed would have helped this man in need. It would kind of be like the equivalent of, let's say, I will use the, the story of I have my cat. I don't like cats, but I'll use a cat. And my cat's stuck up in a tree. And the Lord's gifted me with lots of things. One of those things, though, was not height. I'm, I'm a short man. So it'd be like if I'm in a tree and I, my cat's in the tree and I'm trying to get it. And I'm like, ah, I can't get my cat out of this tree. And lo and behold, who walks up but the starting center of the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, Kevin, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, not Kevin, Carl Anthony Towns, who's like seven foot tall. And I'm like, hey, Carl. Funny that we run into one another. Could, could you help me out? You, you have a, a gift and you could probably reach. And, and he goes like, nah, bro, not my problem. Sorry, that was for the kids. He, he just tells me like, no. And he just kind of walks to the other side of the street himself. Kind of would be like that. Of course, though, we have this Samaritan 
The one culturally unthinkable to stop and assist the Jewish man. And here makes an additional point here that to love one's neighbor involves showing care and compassion even to, even to those with whom one would not normally have any relationship with. It is the reflection that Jesus instructs, early, instructed earlier to love your neighbor. The man, the Jewish man, too injured to walk. So, of course, the Samaritan goes the extra mile, puts him on his donkey, you know, tends to his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, pays for him to stay there with two silver coins or two denarii, two days' wages. Then even goes beyond, says to the innkeeper, hey, if he needs anything else, you know, kind of put it on my tab. I'll come, I'm good for it. When I come back, I'll, I'll pay it. Jesus underscores the Samaritan's compassionate care, extending to whatever more cost and care may be needed. And so what can we do? We can take away three major points from this story to apply to our own lives. The first point that we can see throughout the story, of course, is that compassion is a priority. This is easier said than done. We are to show compassion and love to others, regardless of situations. But compassion is, is a difficult thing to quantify. It's like, how do, I, how do I know that I'm being compassionate? How do I know? Is, is it just being nice to others? We just celebrated the Christmas holiday season. You know, is it, we get a little bit more jolly. In those circumstances, we see the bell ringers throw the extra, extra coins. Is that me being compassionate? The dictionary defines it as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others, which is so bleak. Was Jesus just showing us pity when he died on the cross for our sins? I think not. We must redefine the meaning of what compassion is. Humble care and love for others. The Paul Ekman group shares, us, shares this with us of these five aspects. They try to break down compassion into five different aspects. Generosity, hospitality, objectivity, sensitivity, and tolerance. When I think of compassion, I think of this story. I think it was like a few months ago. I, I can't remember really the, truly the, the time. I was scrolling on the internet, of course, probably, and I came across this video of an Olympic athlete, a, a hurdler. I believe it, they were qualifying events. They were like at time trials. And this man was, he, he was projected to do really well at the, the Olympic Games. This was probably a few years ago. They just, they just showed it again for some reason. And he was supposed to be really good, and so he's getting, he's getting amped up. You know, his race is about to start. He gets ready, and the gun goes off, and he starts running, jumping over the hurdles. And he does what no hurdler, of course, wants to do. He clips a hurdle, and he falls. And you're just watching this video, and oh, people are shocked. It's not, it's, you know, you work your way up for this thing, and then poof, have it crash down on you. And he looks pretty hurt. I was a hurdler in high school. No lie, I was a hurdler in high school. It uh, does not look it. And I've hit my fair share of hurdles, and it hurts. And you go down, and you want to stay down because you're just like, no, 
So they have this focus on this man, this video does. And all of a sudden, in the frame comes someone from kind of the opposite direction, farther up the track, coming back, and it's another runner that goes and helps, picks him up. You know, he stopped in his tracks what he was doing, only to go and take care of somebody else. There's another video I remember from, I think, a few years ago of a softball team. Like, I think it was a high school, college softball team. And this girl's up to, to plate, and, you know, something that you always want to do, of course, if you ever were in sports, is to be maybe the one to have the winning drive or the winning run, and that was her. She, she, could have, she was, would have counted for the winning run to, to win this championship. She hits a home run, of all things. Woo! Crowd's cheering. You know, this, her, her team's about to win. She's rounding the bases, and she trips on, I think, second base. Trips so much that she, like, tears something in her leg. And, of course, the rules were in softball that nobody from her team <clears throat> could help her out or assist her. And she needed to touch all the, the bases in order to account for the run. So what happens is she's writhing in pain. She's making noise. The other team, though, they come around her, and they pick her up, and they allow her to, like, hobble to third base and then to home plate. Compassion, humble care, and love for others. Compassion is putting the needs of others, regardless of race, social settings, culture, anything, ahead of the needs when they are in need. In this parable, of course, Jesus shares the Samaritan, this half-breed, stopped to help this Jewish man, something against cultural norms. So the question has to be posed, how are we helping our brothers and sisters the second thing that we can look at, you know, if compassion is a priority, the second thing is, and stay with me, be colorblind. Strange that someone from the pulpit is calling us to have something like this. We are all structurally wired the way that, that God made us to take in information, whether or not true or false, and we're to store that in our minds. And the information is what guides us in how we make judgments and decisions about the world. Walls get created, though, because there are no negative, uh, there are so many negative connotations heaped onto people of different thoughts and personalities. So we do this. And I want to, I say, I'm going to say a quote that I think kind of sums things up for us to kind of maybe uh, change our perspective. It's by Dr. Albert Schweitzer, uh, Schweitzer. He's a professor at law, and he says this, an optimist is a person who sees a green light everywhere, while a pessimistic person only sees a red stoplight. A truly wise person is colorblind. Jesus himself did not care who he was associating with during his ministry, we read stories, of course, of him sitting with tax collectors, little small ones even, and assisting Roman soldiers and their families, even though he was of Jewish descent. We see him sitting with Samaritan women, like I mentioned in John 4, and reflecting on their stories, even as the disciples are chastising him. We read that he went out of his way to take on all the sins of everybody, not just those who looked like him. He never refuted his captors 
or the Pharisees who denied him, only saying, Father, forgive them all. One of his most famous conversations is with one of his disciples, Matthew, whom we read was a tax collector sitting at one of the booths. And Matthew uh, was there, and Jesus profoundly and infamously said, follow me. We see him sitting amongst others of the same lifestyle and sinners shortly after. And we're over, we overhear Pharisees asking about the situation, appalled that he would do such a thing. Jesus replied, though, with these words, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus' message for us is for us to look beyond what we find comfortable or healthy and to push through the hardships. So if compassion is priority, we are to be colorblind to situations like this because we should be helping all. The third thing we should do is we should go beyond the call. My first job ever when I was 17 years old was a dishwasher at a local youth camp there in southwest Michigan. It's kind of what became my love of camping ministry. And I was one of the younger people there. A lot of everybody else was kind of in their 20s. So I was young, a little bit naive. Not a little bit, a lot of naive. And I'm sitting there with our executive director at the time. She was, she's now a retired teacher. She's talking about this phrase, though, while we're sitting around at our staff training. B-T-C-O-D. Me and my juvenile sense and thought decided, like with others, to just refer to it as butt-cod. Yes. <clears throat> Beyond the call of duty. Becky knew that we had a staff of about 20. And it takes a village to do lots of things. Camping ministry is one of them. She knew that if we only stuck to what our job description lined up as and only did our primary responsibilities i.e. for me, just to clean dishes, a lot of things would not happen. She wanted to instill in us that we needed to go beyond the call of duty, trusting that others would do the same for us. So for me, I should wash the dish, I should put the weight of the dish, and I should see, hey, should I help out in any sort of way? Maybe it's getting stuff ready for the next meal. Maybe it was going and helping out with other campers, whatever it might be. But we were to do this. We were to go beyond the call. Jesus, when giving his sermon on, on the mount or on the plain, whatever version you read of it, discussed how we are to treat our, these things that we sometimes label as enemies and to go beyond the call. He mentioned that if a soldier asks you to walk a mile, that we are to go the extra mile with them. Jesus lived in this BTCOD method. His story about the Samaritan showcases this fully. Again, Samaritan did not even just, didn't just tend to his needs, went beyond the call. Took the man to the inn, paid for him, said, I'll pay even more if need be. Did all these things for the man. So, who is my neighbor? Jesus was pretty clear about who our neighbor is. It's everybody. We are each other's neighbors. We are to lean into being more like the Samaritan man, risking his life and his reputation for another person deemed so different from him. 
Jesus tells us that to care for others, we need to lay down our lives and to show the utmost respect and compassion for them, seeing them as the children of the living God and not someone from across the aisle. At the end of his passage, Jesus wrapped up his story, asking the most softball of softball questions to the Jewish man, saying, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man? The answer, of course, he replied with, the one that showed mercy. And let us listen to Jesus' final words when he says this. He says, go and do the same. I just took a class, my final class of my master's level, hence why Trinity was saying I, I can work my way up through my ordination now. So I took my last class on the Missio Dei, the mission of God. God's mission is, is his people, is us. We are to show others his love and power through sharing what he's done in our own lives. And it reminds me of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 12 actually says this. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. We should not look at things as strangers, taking the word out of our vocabulary, instead replacing it with terms like neighbor or friends or brothers and sisters. Look around you now. We are all neighbors, no matter what we may think, because we are all on this mission together. We are to heed his final words. Go and do the same. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the many blessings that you provide for us. Father, we're so thankful that we can come to you, that we can learn from your word, that we can be reminded of what it means to be the good Samaritan. I pray for opportunities, Father, where we can show compassion to others, that we don't have to allow other things of our preconceived notions to get the better of us, and that, Father, that we can go beyond the call, trusting that you have our back, knowing that we can have others' backs as well. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.